launching now. This has been taking me some time. If you have, if you could remember the last several lessons that I have taught and maybe peruse back through your booklet. Um, all of those things leading up to where we had to be tonight. So, I won't exhaust this tonight because after next Wednesday, the following Wednesday, then we'll go deeper and we'll, we'll go as deep as we can uh, into all of these gifts and callings. I would say on the onset that our church is profoundly blessed because we do have a free-flowing spirit that operates in this house. And it doesn't emanate from a single individual, but it's the collective body of new life. I believe it's the culture of new life. We are all desperate, desiring for a move of God and a word from God for our lives. So it's not a top-down um, result, but it's people here uh, wanting God to move in this house. Romans chapter 12, and there are some verses here we need to cover. Paul writes, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, and here are a few places you can underline, not to think of himself. You should underline that, not to think of himself, more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So I want to just... Um, as we exegete, maybe in expository form, deal with every verse that we have in front of us. And so, per our understanding, every person has been given a measure of faith. No one has been left out. Everyone has a measure of faith. What you do with that measure of faith is up to you. What your feelings are, uh, how you respond to God, that is subjective. Part of that is, part of that comes from the environment that you've grown up in. Part of that comes from old root systems where you've been disappointed, um, promises that are not kept. And so many times people walk into the church and superimpose, are you with me? Superimpose their childhood on the Lord, their early environment on what God can do or what he will do. So, just so everyone knows, the measure of faith has been given to everyone. A measure of faith. I would liken this often to the talent that was given to a man. There was three different men. What you do with it is up to you. But God has given everyone the measure. Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body. Follow the train of thought here. All members have not the same office. We're going to talk about offices and gifts. Which are not the same. But are intertwined. So we being many are one body in Christ. And everyone members of one another. You are members of one another. It doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't matter gender. 
It doesn't matter the color of epidermis. We are one body. We are one. This is one body. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. This is one body. One of the problems that we have with operating in the gifts of the Spirit is that we don't recognize the total or the totality of the body. The body must function together uh, if the body is going to be healthy. When the body ignores itself, it becomes unhealthy. If you ignore a part of your body, you become unhealthy. The whole is infected by the few. Go see Achan. If you don't believe that, go see Achan, who thought that his private sin would not affect the congregation or the nation. It did affect the whole. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Now this means that people have different gifts. It's pretty self-explanatory, but let's do it. Now this just for example. Paul is just as an example. So the word weather would be for an example, prophecy. If that's the gift, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or minister, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy. Isn't that an awesome thing? There's a gift of mercy. With cheerfulness. So, as we, as we look into the spiritual gifts, we need to start with a few key points before we discover those spiritual gifts. And the first thing that we need to look into is the value mentioned in Romans 12 and 3. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Because there is a value-driven mentality in many places pertaining to whatever kind of gift people have. Now, I'll, I'll make it even a little bit more, maybe a little more shallow here for the moment. Tammy and I traveled for a long time. In fact, together we traveled for five years. And it was, it was, it was culturally cachet for the preacher's wife, the evangelist's wife, to play the keyboard and sing a song. Before he preached. Uh, before I married Tammy, I played the piano and sang a song. <laughs> because I wasn't married, so I, I played the piano for myself and sang songs. And when I couldn't play the piano, I had a soundtrack <laughs> and I sang. And I played my saxophone. So, you know, I, that was the norm. But when we got married, the concept was that the preacher's wife would do that. And so many places we would go, people would ask her, are you going to play the piano and sing? And she would say, no, I don't do that. My husband does it. Well, there's a couple people that were put out because they couldn't believe that the preacher's wife did not play the piano and sing. And one very rude pastor's wife said, you don't play and you don't sing? Well, what do you do? <laughs> there, there's often this idea that a person who sings has greater value in the church than the person who holds the door or is an usher or gives out a bulletin. Are you with me? Because we have this false idea that certain gifts 
or certain abilities are better or more valuable than other abilities. Of course, Paul is also the apostle who gives us the analogy of if all were an ear or an all were an eye uh, or if there all were an eye, there'd be no hearing. If all were an ear, there'd be no seeing. If all were a mouth, it would be loud. He didn't say that, but that's basically what it would be. So what is the concept? It's that each member of the body plays a, a specific and critical part within the function of the body to keep the body healthy and centered on Jesus Christ, who is, incidentally, the giver of all things. So we have to be very careful before we have a value-driven mentality. That is a hierarchy. We have to be very careful. The next key point that I would point out to you tonight or offer is common goals of the body. Now, I'm pulling this from Acts 2.44, but you're going to have to give me a little bit of, of leeway here. Acts chapter 2, the Bible says they had all things common. Now, that was specifically talking about food, money, finances, homes, and land. And the reason why is because they were under the heavy oppression of the Roman Empire. So when the early church first began, Acts 2.44, that was indicating that they were a group of startups. And though there was a great outpouring in Pentecost, we know from history that many of those people then were dispersed. They came into Jerusalem for Pentecost, they went back to their, to their homeland. So the early church in Jerusalem, they had no money. They were already oppressed by the Romans and they were not a part of the ruling class, um, specifically that of the high priest or the Sanhedrin. Only two that we know of were part of that elite group and obviously they left that elite group. Only two. And you can do some homework and find out who buried Jesus and you'll find out who those men were. So this is, this is a point of the early church that they had things common. They were together. It, they, had, they had authorities, but they were a body moving together. Let me, let me just give you this for instance. Mom and dad pastored pretty much all my life in, 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 in Troy, Missouri. They, the church at one point I think might have hit 140 or 150 people. There were times when the church was 40 or 50 people. Um, when it's a small group, every person matters. The smaller the group, every person matters. When you get down to 10 or 15 people and somebody takes a vacation or someone's sick, it's a huge hole in the service. And everyone has to work together. When, when our ladies department back home did a, a fundraiser, all of the ladies made the peanut brittle. All, and the men were working and, and there weren't a whole bunch of folks to do that. And, and, uh, this was critical that the body was together. And one of the great parts about that is we had things in common. Everyone knew the deficits and the needs of someone else. So the gifts of spirit, we need to know that there has to be a common goal among the body. 
And as we start talking about the gifts of the Spirit, we have to know there is a common goal. And the common goal is always the edification of the body. Everyone say edification. Edification of the body. Not the embarrassment of the body, but the edification. But edification could mean correction. It could mean correction. Edification could mean exhorting. It could mean building up. But sometimes... Sometimes there is, there is a form of correction as long as it's not an embarrassment. And I have to tread carefully because you're going to find a, uh, you're going to find a deviation in that. We'll get, we'll get to that. Um, the third thing is destructive comparisons. Second Corinthians 10 and 12 says that it's unwise to compare yourself with other people. Those that compare themselves among themselves are unwise. Don't compare yourself with other people. This is, this is the, um, the standard by which most of our media, things you see, listen to, everything in print, we compare our physical features to a standard of measurement that everyone says needs to be achieved. Uh, right height, right build, right hair color, um, uh, right verbiage, and the world has promoted this concept um, that everyone needs to fit into the form of the world. So all men and all women need to look like the world's view of all men and all women. But in the church also, we have this major problem because we have a difficult time dealing with people who have different personalities. Now, I'm invite you to a thing that, that Sister Shock is going to do for our church in October. Actually, she's doing it for Effective Church. It's, it's the pre-conference um, session, and it's called Colors. And a lot of us went through Colors, and it's phenomenal what Colors is and how it shows you. It's not just a personality uh, revelation of your personality, but it's also something that shows you how you work together and how we can work together. But in that session, Sister Shock showed us that those who are orange... And I don't get into this, but they, they're orange. They're, they're the, they're the people who, who like to have a good time. They're, they're not, uh, they're, they're not the dominant characteristic. They're not the, uh, they're not the emotional people, not necessarily. They're not the analytical people, but they're the people that bring life to the party. And that many Pentecostal churches have very few orange people in it. Very few people that have that personality. And the reason why is because they don't fit in the parameters that that we want them to fit in. And so they have a, we have a tough time dealing with people who bring life to the party or, or who have a free spirit. Um, and so this is to our detriment. And the reason why is because we constantly compare, why aren't you like someone else? Parents do this all the time. Why aren't you like your brother? Why aren't you like that person? Why aren't we like that family? And this comparison can really be detrimental, especially when we get into spiritual gifts, which are varied, which differ from person to person. Number four, I'll call this justifying the display. Some people might call it the end, justifying the means. You justify the display through cautiousness versus cautiousness through consideration. All spiritual gifts need to be exercised through consideration. Now, as we talk about spiritual gifts, two of these gifts are very prevalent. Some are utterances, 
and some come through laying on of hands. So I'll just pause here and just say some of the things that need to be done do require anointing oil and laying on of hands. But you still have to be careful when you lay hands on one another. Of course, there's another scripture, it, not, not necessarily related to this, but it does say lay hands on no man suddenly. <laughs> it, people try to relay that to this particular of, of laying on of hands of miracles, but I guess the principle is true. A lot of people has been, have been spooked at the altar when someone laid their hands on them. Um, but I think that there are spiritual gifts that need to be imparted through the laying on and specifically through the laying on of hands and the anointing oil. This is biblical. But you have to do it through consideration. And sometimes I will even say to someone, I'm going to put my hand on your head. I'm going to anoint you with oil. Are you ready for me to do that? And of course, the answer is always affirmative because I have told them up front the scripture and what I'm about to do. So the first part of that number four is justifying the display. Maybe I should pause and tell you this whole lesson and what I'm teaching has come through years and years and years of, of study. And in the early 90s, I was privileged, so wonderfully privileged to be with some great men and sat at Brother Stark's table while Billy Cole, who was by all, by all accounts a real prophet, uh, taught for hours about spiritual gifts. Pastor Stark took up that mantle and he is one of the most profound, in my opinion, one of the most profound teachers about spiritual gifts. Several years ago, I went to just one of his sessions and then later we sat at the table and he further expounded the use of spiritual gifts. Along with him, then in study and watching and learning, I've watched spiritual gifts occur in the church Phenomenal spiritual gifts. They are necessary. As I come to this pulpit, even to teach this word, I have a burden for our church that spiritual gifts would open up. But I also have a caution that spiritual gifts would be handled properly. We're going to get to that. Because I've seen both sides of this. I've seen tongues and interpretation go forth that was not of God. <laughs> David Smith was here a couple weeks ago. And he has a gift. He has the gift of faith. And he is, uh, a, he is not like me. And I'm, I like that. Now, some of you were nervous for me. You need not be nervous. I brought him back the second time. Um, and the second time meant that I appreciated his unique gifting and I felt like it was something that we needed as a body at church. And I'm not exactly sure where his office stands, though he travels as an evangelist and I'll reserve that for another time. But when we were young, he reminded me of some of the things we heard. There was a couple of boys at a youth camp that really was getting into speaking in tongues and giving the interpretation. Of course, they got out of hand, and one of them gave interpretation, which was wonderful. My father said that the next guy got up, 
and said, Thus saith the Lord, get thee on the ball. That, had, that was not of God. He was just kind of saying some stuff. Brother Smith told us about a situation, this little country church and this, this mother who had some of her children with her and one of the kids was being very bad and she was amen in the preacher and then in between that she was beaten. He said she was talking to her child but not really finishing any words or sentences. You stop, beat him. I mean, just really bad. Hitting them really bad. And then she went, amen. And then she beat him. And finally, the guy behind her had, he had a shirt on and overalls and he just got tired of it. He, he, he stood up and he said, Thus saith the Lord, I'm a God of peace. Come. I work in a quiet spirit, something like this. <laughs> And then he sat down and uh, she went back to her abusing her children. And finally he got up and said, thus saith the Lord. Same thing. (laughs) (laughs) But I've also seen... And was with, a, with a, a man who was very prophetic. And there was other men there. And as he was preaching, they wanted him to display the gift. And they called out from the audience. And it was inappropriate. Because they thought that, justifi- that whatever the display was, it didn't matter um, who was in the audience. They just wanted to see something happen. So I think that there's a few things we have to be very careful of. We don't justify the display of the gifts of the Spirit just to be seen. There has to be an awareness and a consideration for the people. As one profound preacher said, You can have a burden for the sermon and preach a masterpiece and no one is saved. Or you can have a burden for the people and not preach very well, but the whole congregation is blessed. Now I'm I'm taking what has amounted to almost 20 years of pastoring and the rest of the time with evangelizing and preaching and being with pastors and study. And it's hard for me to encapsulate all of it in single sentences. So, Brother Bernard has, has done a great work in putting three lists together, succinctly put. And so, I'll draft from his list because they're so well done. And then I'll, I'll add some general definitions to what he has given First, there are service gifts. Prophecy. That's a general word, inspired word, prophecy. These are surface, service gifts, prophecy. Now, let me just pause on prophecy and just tell you that in a general sense, all speech is anointed by God. All speech that's anointed by God is prophecy. You can find that in Ezekiel chapter 37. And it encompasses preaching or praising 
or testifying, but prediction of the future is not always required. So this is a general inspired word. Number two is ministry. And to minister means to serve, serve others. It comes from the Greek word diakonia. It's service. Number three is teaching. That's instruction. In the scripture. Exhortation is number four. That would be giving a word of encouragement through a testimony, exhortation. There is a service gift that we see from Paul as giving. It's the sharing of finances. Wouldn't you love to have the gift of giving? That does not mean that you have a lot to give, but that you are a giver. But it is. it does mean generosity. Look at these gifts that we're listing here. Leading, that's government or giving direction through influence, authorities. Direction comes through leadership. Some people are gifted with leadership. It's by nature. They are leaders by nature. And finally, number seven is showing mercy. As we have found out in Romans 12 and verse 8, mercy The natural gift of being merciful. Those are people that are merciful by nature. So they have mercy by nature. Some are just very acutely merciful and compassionate. It's part of their nature. I believe that God allows the church to have all parts. All of these parts. All of these service gifts in the church to operate. It creates the healthy balance just like the balance of chemicals in your body. Next comes ministerial offices. They are gifts, but they, they're gifts from God, but they're the offices. And these are different from the gifts because they are position oriented. The apostle. That is literally someone who is sent. And they often minister to churches. They establish churches. They establish other ministries. We can accurately conclude that many of our missionaries have been apostles. Benny DeMerchant was one of the greatest apostles that our organization in the United Pentecostal Church had ever known. He had, he learned how to fly a propeller plane and flew a plane knew how to land a plane in all those little crooked rivers of Brazil and flew, touched down in those little riverbeds and got out of his plane and preached the gospel to people who had never heard the name of Jesus. And by the time he passed away, there was over 180,000 people under his ministry that had come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, baptized in Jesus' name, and had been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, speaking other tongues. He had over almost 2,000 ministers, licensed ministers, numbers of Bible schools, and he would fly from one, in fact, one of the last times he was flying, he flew from one major conference People had gotten together 7,000 people to another one, 7,000 people. He was the only apostolic minister that had his own national picture stamp, his picture on a stamp in Brazil, Benny DeMerchant. He was an apostle, phenomenal apostle. He established places, incredible. That does not mean that he didn't have 
a lot of trauma. In fact, I'll just briefly tell you, he had trauma in his ministry. One of the, one of the men that was helping him had emptied one of the, several of the gas tanks and wanted to use it for something else. And I think it filled it up with water. And, and, and instead of fixing it, uh, when, they, when they filled up the, the, the plane and it barely took off, this has been many years, ago, many years ago, the plane crashed. He couldn't keep it up. He didn't know why the plane was not gaining altitude. And he survived, but one of his ministers died in that plane crash. He had, he, it was, in fact, by his own testimony, it was the worst thing that ever happened in his ministry. There were, there were a lot of challenges. The apostles that, that live today have many, many challenges around the world. Some of our missionaries are forging in areas where God is clearly rejected and religion is scorned upon. You're going to meet an apostle the last day of September. You're going to meet an apostle here in this pulpit. You'll see him. You don't want to miss that Sunday. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss him. There's another office. It's the office of the prophet. And of course, the prophet will forth tell. Sometimes the prophet just tells what's going on right now. Or sometimes the prophet might tell something in the future, forth telling. But they do it consistently and without error. In the Old Testament, if a prophet made an error, they stoned him. Some young men over 10 or 15 years ago decided they wanted to be prophets, so they said they were going to practice. Well, there's no practicing in the office of prophecy. There's no practices in prophecy. And there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it rhymed pretty good. No one practiced being a prophet. It's without error. It's consistent. The office is different than the gift. But the prophet has the gift. The one who has the gift is not necessarily a prophet. Then there is the evangelist. The evangelist is an interesting word today, an evangelist. We know very few evangelists. Um, Charles O'Rourke holds the office of an evangelist. If you remember Char Charlie O'Rourke, he, uh, he would come and bring his own, he'd, he'd pick up people and bring them to church and baptize them. And, and, and he, he has just like, I don't know, he only has maybe 10 or 15 different uh, casual outfits. All of them are, are part of the Marvel comic, comic shirts. You know, he's one day he was Captain America. And of course, I don't know if Spider-Man is in that. He was Spider-Man and he walks around town with his tennis shoes on and he brings people and he is a true evangelist. Everywhere he goes, new people are walking in. He's going and reaching out. The evangelist is reaching out. Now we say that we have evangelists today, but some of those men that are traveling, they don't hold the office of an evangelist. But they are preachers, and they're preaching from place to place, but they don't hold the office of an evangelist. We call them an evangelist, but that's because we don't have another name for them. <laughs> are you confused? So when I say we have our evangelist here today, you're going to think, well, no, are you really that guy? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> so we, we ha we're struggling with vocabulary because we don't know um, if they are the true evangelist. The evangelist evangelizes the city. Evangelist doesn't merely 
preach to the congregation. All right. The office is someone who consistently preaches to the unbeliever and is effective in that ministry. Now, one of our ministers have, has helped us with this. Brother Williams often calls them, some of them, reaping evangelists. Those are the men who can come in and sense and know that there are people in the congregation that need to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost or need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And they are profound and profoundly effective. Of course, we know also that Brother Smith has that and does that. Next are the pastors. Pastors are an interesting uh, uh, office. If you've heard Brother Shock's message at, at General Conference, you would hear him talk about the pastor. The pastors, as the Bible would subscribe in the book of Revelation, would be the angel to the city. In fact, Paul, I'm sorry, John, the revelator, would write to the angel of the city. Those were pastors that were over the city. Then the word pastor literally means shepherd. The Bible will also call him a bishop or an overseer, the pastor. The pastor is, can be an apostle. As Brother DeMerchant clearly showed. But in most cases, the pastor is the one who stays. The apostle establishes the prophet, uh, uh, the prophet will, will move from place to place. The evangelist, likewise, the pastor will stay. The teacher might also stay, but the teacher uh, might move. Now, if you read the scripture correctly, Ephesians 4 and 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, watch this one, and some pastors and teachers. So many scholars would say that a pastor is also a teacher, that Paul would add them together, that the pastor always teaches, he's always an instructor, but that we also know that there are teachers that are not pastors. Let me point out two teachers that are not apostles. They are not prophets. They are not evangelists. One of them would even say he's really not a pastor. And the other one knows he's not a pastor. But they're so profound as teachers, nobody knows where to put them. Because once again, we have diluted those offices and we don't have a good term. If you say you're a teacher, people usually use a word in front of that. Well, they're just a teacher. We found this out in our home. Tammy and I found this out in our home. We were thinking about this as people talk. If you put the word little in front of anything, it is condescending. How's your little garden? How's your little car working? Just a teacher is demeaning to the office. The office is just as powerful as the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, or the pastor. Dr. Hughes is not an apostle. Dr. Hughes is not a prophet nor an evangelist. Dr. Hughes is not a pastor by his own admission. Also by, also, also, um, by occupation. He is a teacher, profound teacher. Raymond Woodward would say that he's not even really a good pastor, but his pastor, Jack Lehman, who's in his church, that pastors the church, Brother, Brother Woodward would say the same thing. Brother Woodward says, really, people don't want me. They want the pastor, Jack Lehman, to do it. 
But Brother Woodward is so profound as a teacher, no one knows where to put him. And no one really knows to put him as a teacher, though I've talked to Brother Woodward many times and said, do you realize you hold the office as a teacher? But some people will call him evangelist because it sounds a little better. But I don't know why it sounds better. All five offices are mentioned in the same verse. And he, who's he? God. And he, God, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry. So God did this. This is God's ordained call for New Testament church offices. In the Old Testament, there were, there were prophets, there were judges, there were kings, there were priests, there were high priests. In the New Testament, when he came to establish his church, he gave this, what we know now as a five-fold ministry. And all of these ministries operate for the health of the body, but these ministries are positions. So the teacher is instructor in the word, and he develops the service gift of teaching. So a teacher always produces a teacher. An apostle does not always produce an apostle. And a prophet does not always produce a prophet. An evangelist, likewise, a pastor may, a teacher always does. Now, some of the things that I have to tell you is really by experience. And I, I don't have time to, to divulge the many, many examples, but a good teacher, a good teacher will produce someone who can teach. You don't know what you know until you can repeat it. And a good teacher will teach. Now comes the supernatural gifts. Now I'm, I'm going to take more time in the next session on supernatural gifts. After sitting with Brother Stone King for many, many years and going through supernatural gifts and hearing him teach and hearing Pastor and Brother Morgan and, and all of these great men teach, uh, I have... I've come to a, a, a deeper understanding of the spiritual gifts and how they operate. Let's just list them for a moment. The supernatural spiritual gifts that mentioned by Paul. We'll say that there are nine because it's easier to remember the nine spiritual gifts. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. My mother has been often, he, she has often exercised in the word of wisdom and I've heard her speak the word of knowledge. There is faith. We could even call it the gift of faith. There are gifts. Here's the plurality of healings. If you read the book, the stories that they told, which is the story about the young congregation from Azusa Street, I don't know if anyone's ever read that book. The stories that they told from Azusa Street. Most of the congregation, led by Brother Seymour, were teenagers. One, and they would tell the stories about their gifts. There was different gifts of healing. In those days, in the early 1900s, not everyone had dental care. A lot of people had major infections because their teeth were rotting. One of the young girls, she was 13 years old, when people would come to the church, she would pray for them and she would notice that their mouth was swollen and she would put her finger inside of the mouth and rest it on top of the cavity or the infected tooth. 
And the stories they told was that new teeth would grow back in the mouth of the person she was praying for. Now, you might find that a little peculiar, but Jesus spit on the ground, made mud, mud balls, and put it in someone's eye. And at one point, he spit in the eyes of a blind man. I would ask you not to spit on anybody. Let's go back to having cautiousness, consideration. But I would say that, that when there was no doctors there, uh, and there's no dental work, she had a specific gift, and time and time again, people would walk in with gross infections in their mouth. She would put her finger into their mouth and they would be healed with teeth growing back in their mouth. These are the stories they told. So there are multiple different types of gifts of healing, but we're, we're going to categorize it as one section. Then there is the working of miracles. Prophecy. It's a gift. Discerning of spirits. Now, from time to time, I've, I've, I've had that. It's not always, but there is, there, it comes and it goes with me. I don't know why. Different kinds of tongues. So people would speak in tongues. Twice in my life, I've spoken in a language that someone could understand. In 1991, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't speak. In 1991, a young girl spoke in English that I could understand, but she did not speak English. In, uh, in the mid-90s, we were in Bossier City, and I spoke in Japanese, and a woman from Japan um, that had spent 38 years there spoke fluent Japanese and understood what I said. It was a specific word for her life. If you've ever been through my tabletop Bible study, you would know those stories very well, right, Amanda? Okay, so I won't labor them. I'll just say that there's different, ma'am? Thank you, thank you. And you can teach it too, that's right. The different kind of tongues. And then there's tongues of interpretation. Now, I just want to pause here, and I don't want to get too deep in this, but, but some tongues, um, in fact, the tongues that are meant to edify the body, they, they do come with interpretation. But the same person that gives the tongues doesn't necessarily have to give the interpretation. Some people specifically have the gift of interpretation. But many times, there are tongues and interpretations from the same person. When we get into interpretation of tongues, we're going to talk about what is, a, what is appropriate. Now you would say, well, well, God told me that. Yes, but God does not take issue with specific people in the church through tongues. It's a message to the whole body, right? So what I'm praying for and what I've been praying for for a long time is that the supernatural gifts open up to our entire church. But I'm also, also I, I, I don't want to minimize these other gifts that are in the scripture. I just want you to know these are the more desirable gifts according to the Bible. So we're going to talk about these specific gifts and not necessarily discovering our gifts. So it's not as if something say, well, you know, I didn't even know that was there. That's not how it works. God, however, God wants to give you those gifts and you can pray for it. You can desire it according to the Bible. It's in those scriptures if you read 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Now, I just want to give you the overriding principle because you're going to have to remember the overriding principle that's found in 1 Corinthians 13 concerning, specifically concerning these gifts, both the service gifts and the supernatural gifts. There is an overriding concrete principle. Are you ready for 1 Corinthians 13? 
Here's what Paul said. Though I speak, this is incredible because this is on the heels of chapter 12 comes chapter 13, right? That succession. All you mathematicians say amen that knows 13 comes after 12. And it's confirmed. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, there we go. That's eight. That's the eighth supernatural gift. The tongues of men and of angels. When you speak in tongues, sometimes those tongues, when you get the Holy Ghost or you're speaking in a heavenly language, I'm sorry, when you're speaking in tongues, sometimes that's the tongue of angels. There's no interpretation for that. Sometimes it is a literal tongue that can be known and heard by other people. That was what happened. There's, it happened a couple different times. In Acts chapter 2, they looked around and they said, Aren't all these which speak Galileans? And here's the next line. And how hear we every man in the language wherein we were born? They were hearing the wonderful works of God in many different languages. Parthians, Medes, Edomites, Dwellers of Mesopotamia, Pontius, Asia, Pamphylia, and Phrygia. They heard them speak the wonderful works of God. This was Acts 2. But there are other times when you're speaking in tongues, they're not human language, but it's a heavenly language. And this is it. The tongue, what does it say? Of men and of angels. I underlined it for you. And you should just, you can even put the spiritual gift of tongues or or the or the number eight. But you have not charity. You have not love. You become a sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal. What does that mean? You're speaking in tongues, but you're not standing on the platform of love. Number two. And though I have the gift of prophecy, which is needed in the church, ladies and gentlemen, the gift of prophecy is needed in the church. And I'm not just talking about the utterance or a general word. If you go back to the service one, service Flip back the page, if, if it's on the other page. The first prophecy, a general inspired word. There's two different levels of prophecy. Every time I'm preaching, I'm prophesying. Acts chapter 19. He laid hands on them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. What does that mean? They spoke in tongues and they were preaching. The, 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 the disciples of John the Baptist began to preach after they spoke in tongues. They were not standing there. The, men, the number of men were 12, so there's 13 of them. They were not foretelling or foretelling. They were prophesying. So sometimes the word prophecy means to preach, but there's two levels of, prop, of prophecy. The one is the general word. The next is what you know and what I recognize as prophecy or prophetic. Prophetic. But if you don't have love, so, so that tends to number six. And understand all mysteries... There's the word of knowledge, uh, or the, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. And though I have all faith, that's number three, so that I can move mountains and I don't have love, I'm nothing. So, so we have to be very careful. Remember, as I've taught you, as you know, the 613 commandments or the laws that they derive from the Ten Commandments. And the Jews created 613, 248 of them were things not to do. Because they believed there were 248 different parts of the body. 365 of them for things you should do. That was one for every day. 613 in total. They would, they would tie, tie knots in the tassels. Up to 613 knots in their tassels. Which was the zit zit. To remember the laws. To remember the covenant. So a Jewish man will have tassels. Uh, fringes hanging from his garment. And they have knots in them. 
And there, if you counted all the knots of those zitzits or the fringes, there would be 613 of them. 248 for things you ought not do and 365 for things you should do. Are you still with me now? Maybe not. So if you, if you look at all of those laws, you have to understand that they were insufficient they were insufficient. No one, no one could live up to them, and there was something left out. So when they came to Jesus and said, which is the greatest commandment? Which is the greatest law? And Jesus did not reply to them in the way they thought they were trying to trap him. He said, the greatest is this, love the Lord your God. The second is love your neighbor. Love was always the greatest commandment, and everything that's healthy in the church must stand upon the platform of love. Every spiritual gift, Every service gift has to stand upon the platform of love. Every one of them. Many years ago, I was preaching in Saginaw, Michigan, before they built their new church. It was a very crowded, crowded auditorium. And long story short, a deaf man had a microphone that he put on the pulpit. And um, I did not know he was an attorney. Very smart guy, but he, he had trouble hearing, so he had a, a, an implant in his ear with a microphone he could put different places. Uh, the pastor gave me the microphone. He thought it was the new lavalier microphone. He gave it to me because I was on the front row playing my saxophone. He said, put this on your saxophone so we could hear it. And I put it on my saxophone, and the man that I'd never seen walked up and ripped it off my saxophone and Went to the back and I thought, this place, he, that dude's rude. I am mad. I was so mad. And, uh, and so then they gave me the service. <laughs> Preach. I was so upset and I couldn't believe it. I mean, I mean it was really, he, he, he really took it from me. Just And uh, got the little pack and went to the back. And then I got up to the pulpit and the pastor of the church, brother, this was Brother Bruce Lehman's brother, Kevin Lehman, was in the back. I could just see from the back, his arms were going like this, and I thought, I'm so glad he is chewing that man out. He's giving him the what for. And so I, it made me feel a little bit better. And, um, and, then, and then an usher brought that same pack and microphone back up and put it right on the pulpit. And, I mean, right 10, 15 minutes after I was been preaching. I was so, now I'm mad. This thing has been in my hands, out of my hands. They argued over it. Now it's back. I have no idea. No one told me that this was his microphone so he could hear. And I preached mad that whole night. Just kept on pounding the pulpit. And that thing was bouncing. And, and, and that poor man, I, I felt so bad later. But that poor man, he moved from that seat to that seat back up here. He wanted to hear the sermon so desperately. But I was messing with his. Every time I pounded that pulpit, <laughs> it was horrible. And I, that was the worst sermon I know I've ever preached because I was mad the whole time. And I can tell you that that was not standing on the platform of love. And at the restaurant, Brother Kevin Lehman apologized and said, I'm so sorry. I thought that was our brand new lavalier microphone to preach out of. He said, that man's very, very smart attorney here in town. He wanted to hear you preach. He came here to hear you preach. I don't know if he had any hearing left, but we needed someone with the gift of miracles and the gifts of healing to lay hands on him. I know that's true. So just, I just want you to know this. I mean, I think you need to know that all of the gifts 
that operate through me, they want to be given from the Spirit for the benefit of the body. I, however, have to constrain my flesh. Is, is, that, is that too much for you? I got to restrain my carnality in my flesh. Let me just be transparent for you. I know it's going to really hurt your feelings because some of you think I wake up with good breath every angel's breath. I do, actually, it's true. My temperament, even if I'm anointed, I still have to constrain my flesh. The spirit wants to work. I can be a conduit. But if I don't deliver with love, no matter what I'm doing, it's for nothing. Look at verse 3. If I bestow all my goods, go back go back to number 5 of the service gifts. Giving, sharing, generosity. You give all your gift to feed the poor, but you do it out of obligation and not out of love. It has no profit to us. See, love is the platform upon which all spiritual gifts must stand. And spiritual gifts... And their usage are destructive to the body without a firm foundation of love of charity. And everyone said amen. This is without controversy. And I say that because I have seen so many things, especially in my young youth and in my 20s, where people misused spiritual things. We can't misuse spiritual things. Now I'll caution you. I will err on the side of caution a little bit. But when these supernatural gifts start to open up, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bother some of you. And if we have a prophet that occupies an office walking to this house, it's going to mess with you a little bit. It already has. Listen, Brother Smith already messed with a few people. <laughs> it already bothers a few people because when he came in, he said, just speak out a word. Well, that doesn't make everybody comfortable. Of course, it's to your own error that you don't speak it out. When you have the opportunity to speak out whatever prophetic thing in your life, speak it out. What is it going to hurt you if you're speaking it by faith? If you're talking it by faith? What do you need God to do for you? You ought to open up your mouth and speak it and create it, put it into motion by faith. But instead, sometimes we're so cautious, we don't want to say it. We don't want to say anything. Yes. So... I'm not throwing caution to the wind, but I'm saying here are the spiritual gifts. Let's exercise the spiritual gifts, knowing what they are. Pray that God would use us in them. Consider this. Those who are used in spiritual gifts usually deal with personal doubt, self-worth issues, sometimes pride, sometimes arrogance. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. Too much pride, too much self-deprecation. When the prophet got done calling fire down from heaven, what was the next thing he did? He went to a cave because he was depressed because he heard someone send a word. She wasn't even there. Jezebel sent a word to him. If you're alive by this time tomorrow, 
then I'll just throw away the kingdom because I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. He goes to a cave. The man just called fire down from heaven. It consumed the altar. It consumed the sacrifice, the water. It licked up the dust. And then he said, I hear the sound of abundance of rain, and they're going to run down the mountain. But when he gets somewhere down the mountain, someone sends a word, Jezebel's going to kill you. Oh, no. The prophet had extreme polarization of self-worth and doubt. And he got in the cave, and God said, why are you there? What was his answer? I'm the only one zealous for you, Lord. I'm the only one left. A little arrogance and a little fear. Wow. Of course, God said, no, you're not. I got 7,000 more than ever bowed their, their knee to Baal. You ain't the only cat out here. I got more people. <laughs> yes, and God did say that. He did, and I quote, you're not the only cat out here. That's the translation. You don't know. <laughs> so there must be guards in the human spirit. And I want you to get this word guards. Guard the human spirit. You guard your spirit. If you're going to be used in the gifts, supernatural gifts of the, of the Holy Spirit, you have to guard your spirit. Your spirit. So that it will be beneficial to the body. This is, the one, this is the, one of the main things I learned in Bible quizzing. We would go to tournaments and we would, we would, we would compete in these large tournaments. And sometimes it would be 30 and 40 teams there. And I had spent hours and hours and hours. There was an old rocking chair in the basement of the church, the old church. I would spend hours with my quiz cards. And I would quote my quiz cards. And we would work on the buzzer and we would, we would study cross-reference uh, how many times a phrase was mentioned in the book of Mark or, or in the doctrine or whatever we were studying. And one tournament, I knew all of my material and I could quote it backwards and forwards, but we had a big fight the day of the tournament and a lot of arguments. And I got there and my spirit was so messed up. I didn't do very good at the tournament. I realized Something was wrong. And then Sister Claudette Walker got up to speak kind of at, a, at an inspirational moment. She gave a devotion. And she talked about the benefits of the attitude, the spirit, our own attitudes. It revolutionized my thinking. And we were going to a seminar. Dad had, was bringing us to a seminar at the same time in St. Louis. We were learning uh, a, a seminar. It was called Basic Institute Seminar. And... And the man that was teaching that was also talking about our spirits, our attitudes, our dispositions. It didn't matter, he said, what other people did to us. What mattered is what we did in response, our response. It really messed with me, 14 years old. And there was a click, I realized. I, it, 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 it clicked with me. I realized it doesn't matter how much I know the word if my spirit is not right when I enter the tournament. Of course, I didn't really know how to handle myself, so I just told mom and dad... Nobody should talk to me like the next, the two days before the tournament. Just don't talk to me. I can't afford to get mad. <laughs> don't make me mad. If you make me mad, that makes me mad. I'm going to lose. So it wasn't always, I didn't always have the right motive. Some of the motive was I want to win, so don't make me mad. That wasn't, that wasn't a good motive either. But I do realize that the guard around my spirit is critical. It's important. It's, it's just as important as I'm preaching that 
right before I preach, something horrible doesn't happen because then I'm preaching or, 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 or someone has an accident or some, some horrible thing happens on the foyer and, and I can't do anything about it. And then I'm preaching because I've got to have my spirit right. When you're exercising in the gifts, you want to have your spirit right. When you come to church, ladies and gentlemen, pardon me for being a little harsh here, you've you got to grow up. You can't come in hanging your head. You got to come in with praise and expectation. Trust, Pastor. You got to come in ready to minister to people and stop always thinking, well, who's going to help me? Who's going to help me? Well, is anyone going to notice I'm here? Lose a little bit of yourself because if you'll forget about yourself and other people around you, you'll be able to minister in the Spirit. You have to minister in the Spirit. You almost even have to think, I'm coming today, Sunday, I'm walking in. To help somebody, to love on somebody, to minister to somebody. But if you have this, this, this idea that the church is a place where you get filled up, then we're a gasoline station. We're a full service station where your fluids are empty and you got to have wash window, washing fluid. you got to have oil. you got to have all this stuff. Well, listen, there comes a time when you need to grow up and you need to realize that you are here to minister to people, not just to be fed. I've always felt like when I was ministering, I was fed. So the guard, I have to guard my own spirit so that I'm not low and I'm not too high. Let me just give you the elements of effective gifts. Number one is trust. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you. I don't know how many times this has happened to me. People have walked in. I didn't know who they were. And they told me what they did at their last church or what God called them to do. And I can distinctly remember someone, a couple at the altar, telling me what they felt God wanted them to do for our church. And I said, you know, this is the first time that I've ever met you. The first time you've been here. Yes, well, this is what God wants to do. And I said, well, there's a problem with trust. I, I, I don't know who you are, so I don't have any trust in you. And the Bible says to know them that labor among you. Listen. It's okay for someone in the congregation to minister to you, even if they know your situation. They can still be prophetic, lay hands on you, and you be healed, even if they know your situation. The elements of the effective gift always entails trust. You have to have trust in the pulpit. Hear me. Anyone who tears down the trust in the pulpit is destroying the work of the body of Jesus Christ. Because once you lose trust in the pulpit, you might as well go find another church. Just flat out. If you don't trust this pulpit, God bless you. I love you. I'll sign an application for you to go to a seminary, whatever. Because if you don't trust this pulpit, you're in a dangerous place. No effective ministry can be, can be given if there's no trust in the people ministering to you. My brother can speak to me in whatever way he chooses because I trust that he has my best interest in mind. My mother can talk to me. My father just the other day said, we need to talk. I got something I want to share with you. So we went to the garage and sat in the chairs in the garage. You know, it's important. That was important. (laughs) And it was. And it was a good conversation. And it was a healthy conversation. I trust those voices. Anytime my wife would say to me, 
I need to talk to you about something. I trust her because no one wants the best for me or would help me more than she has and will. So the element of trust is important. Know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Know them. Number two is obedience to authority. The spirits are subject to the prophet. So it doesn't really matter what gifts are being exercised. There has to be authority and there has to be obedience. Number three is order. Everyone say order. Let's just read the scripture. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write to you are, in, are the commandments of the Lord. So if, if someone considers himself, that's okay. I'm writing from God. You're feeling doesn't, what, what would Paul say here? Your feeling about who you are, and it may be true, does not supersede his writing. His writing is, is the utterance of God. So we know this because all scripture is what? Given by inspiration of God and is profitable. God breathed. The Bible says that holy men of God spake or wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But if any man be ignorant, wives, you don't have to use this. It's not what you think it is. Let him be ignorant. But you could, I've heard it quoted many times. Paul said, if you want to be ignorant, go ahead and be ignorant. <laughs> if you want to be unlearned, go ahead. But brethren, covet to prophesy. That means <clears throat> you should desire to prophesy. And as Paul's writing that, that can be used in every form of what we just talked about. Prophetic or a general word. You should want to. And forbid not to speak with tongues. So if any of you have any, ever heard anyone tell you not to speak with tongues, that's not of God. Now there's a moment where Paul also said, so this is not contradictory, he would prefer you not speak in tongues and speak in the language that people could understand. But he didn't say never speak in tongues. He just said when you're speaking in tongues, you're edifying yourself. But when you're speaking, and, and that's got to be interpreted if it's going to edify someone. So you just have to have an understanding of what Paul's saying. We're not going to forbid people to speak in tongues because there are churches in this city that will not allow you to speak in tongues. You can't do it in the church. Even though it's in the Bible. Even though Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. Now the last part, why does he end this way? Because there are critical parts of the elements or of the gifts that need to be done correctly. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, I'll, I'll finish here. When we come back, I'll encourage you to get a couple of books. There may be some books on spiritual gifts outside in the foyer. If not, you can look online. Let me just note for you a couple of things, and I think it's on your handout. There are a myriad of commentaries about the use of gifts and giftings. While the office is different from the gifts, those who are called to the office are also used in their specific calling, or you could even insert gift. As we've learned from both biblical account, Peter, John, Paul, Silas, Barnabas, we've learned from this. The office of the apostle and the pastor often use all nine gifts of the Spirit. Now, this happens a lot. In fact, I can tell you from all of my years, Pastors, I've watched pastors, I've watched Brother Mooney prophesy. In fact, he was preaching one time, and he stopped preaching and he turned. And he said, 
you're in the middle of an adulterous affair. And if you don't, if you don't repent right now tonight, um, there was a judgment put on. And then he went back to preaching. It was the most bizarre, peculiar thing. And there was a hush on the crowd. We were shouting before that. Then he just stopped and said it. Huh. Billy Cole was walking through a line of, of, of ministers once in a foreign country. And he said uh, that he was being welcomed. And there was men on both sides and they were welcoming. He was walking up to the platform and, and it was before the service had begun. And one man put his hand on Brother Cole. And Brother Cole immediately turned around and said, you are a, an adulterer and God has sent his word to judge you. And the man fell down on the concrete floor and began to weep and cry. He confessed right there. Um, the prophetic word came out. Now, when I told you it's for the edifying, it did edify because the man repented. Nathan, the prophet, stood before David and told the elaborate, the elaborate story of a man who had many sheep and stole the man who had one sheep. The prophet confronted the king, put his finger in the face of the king and said, Thou art the man. So the prophetic might be uncomfortable, but if there's repentance or, a, or turning away, it always can be considered an edification of, the, of that individual. Are you with me now? We don't always want to hear that or see that because our culture doesn't lend itself to some of the things that I'm talking about. A word of wisdom. We don't always recognize a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Some people have those words of wisdom, words of knowledge. We just don't recognize it because we don't use that vocabulary every day. We're going to get into it as we study. I would just offer a few things, a few misnomers to spiritual gifts. Number one, this is a misnomer. So you can write big false next to it. False. Those who are using spiritual gifts are more spiritual than those who are not. That's a false. If someone has the gift of healing, does it make them better than anyone else? Remember, we're not talking about value. Someone could have the gift of healing. That's not... A hierarchy of spirituality. That is the gift of God. The use of spiritual gifts will trump or supersede spiritual authority. That's false. They do not. They do not. One of our big conferences several years ago, <clears throat> Brother Mangan was at the pulpit and he was just about to introduce the next preacher who preached a phenomenal, phenomenal sermon. And a woman in the, in the far left began to speak in tongues. It was the gift of tongues very loudly. And people suddenly were quiet waiting on her. But he stopped it and said, this is not the time for us to exercise the gift of tongues. We have a preacher. He's going to preach the word. We're not going to speak in tongues right now. We're going to hear the word. Whew. Let me tell you, that was a little disconcerting the first time I heard that. But it was correct, it was, it was in order, 
and he had the authority to shut it down. That does not mean that that woman doesn't have the gift of tongues or that in some other time and place she can exercise that. If you really have it, you'll exercise it even after being rebuked. (laughs) But spiritual authority always supersedes the gift. Number three, spiritual gifts were only meant for the church. False. That's not true. They were not just meant for the early church. The the working of miracles was not just meant for the early church. The word of wisdom, prophecy, and the gifts of healing was not just meant for the early church. They were meant for us. We are part of the New Testament church. We are that. If you think that these spiritual gifts were only for them, you are devaluing what the Holy Spirit has provided for you and for the church. Don't think they're from a different country or they're from a, for a different people or for a different era or time. They are for you and for me. We need to start praying that God would bless us and help us and desire these spiritual gifts that are clearly in the Bible. They're going to revolutionize our church. And finally, something must be wrong with leadership if and when select spiritual gifts are used. That's not true either. I can preach the word of God, anointed with the word of God, and someone can follow it up with a spiritual gift, and both are correct. Both are correct. A word of prophecy can come before or after the preached word. It does not devalue the leadership or the word. And whoever's standing here could preach the word, and then God might want to give an utterance to the church through interpretation of tongues. And, and, and the reason why I bring this up is because this misnomer has been, has been perpetrated through several places that I, that I know. It, it really, it's, it's not prevalent here. But it's been perpetrated that the reason why there's so, many, so much activity in other places is because they, they just don't have a very good leader, very good pastor, which is a shame to that congregation. It's a reproach to them that they would, that they would demean their leader. And the reason why that they have so much struggle is because they never learned spiritual authority and they thought, we're going to make up the difference. Well, we wonder whether or not those are actually spiritual gifts or if they're initiated from the flesh. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, write on your paper. I know some of you have already, I know you've already clicked it away. Write these words, the will of God. Write the will of God. The will of God. And before you ever tell anyone what is the will of God specifically for their life? You better hear God tell you. Don't walk around telling. You know, I don't walk around telling people what the will of God is. The Bible will tell us a general will of God. It's the will of God for the all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But when we get into spiritual gifts, and I'm telling you, I'm praying that God will open it up. There's going to be some things happen. You better, you better be ready. And when they happen, it's not just going to wow us. It's going to bless us and people will be delivered and healed. I believe that God wants to do it for our church. And I believe that when Brother Smith was here, he spoke several words of prophecy. Not only did he speak words of prophecy for the church, but he also spoke words of prophecy for, for financial blessings. And it happened to more than two people had powerful financial blessings that happened to them because they obeyed the word of God and it happened. And I was astounded 
right before I left for vacation to find out that two people in the church had called me and told me when he spoke the word, God spoke to them and God did something through them that blessed the church and blessed their own lives. Of course, when we talk about money, everybody gets tense. You don't have to get tense on money. You don't have to get tense. God will speak to you and you'll never outgive God. In fact, the Bible says when you give, it shall be given to you. How? Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall what? Men give to you. So the word of prophecy had come forth. And as the word of prophecy comes forth or the tongues interpretation come forth, we're going to receive that. As we learn about it, we're going to pray.